0: I mean, you ever think about that? So anyway, there, they're, and then the other thing you got to remember when you watch these shows is not only is the subject of the show a bit crazy, but then you got a camera crew and a production crew in these situations too, and that just blows my mind. So this show, here's what they did. They were in a, they were in a swamp, and this guy had developed a technique, an art he would probably say for whatever reason, of going down into the water that you would not want to get into with scuba gear on and finding these sleeping alligators. He went looking for sleeping alligators. And we'd get down in front of them and he would put his hand under their jaw or their snout or whatever that thing is called that's very close to their teeth, that part of the alligator. Right. And he would raise their heads up. Oh, maybe you remember seeing this a few years ago. He would raise their heads up. He's underneath the alligator. He'd raise their heads up to where he could actually lift the alligator over his head because he's submerged now. And bring his other hand around kind of under the stomach and push them to the surface. I don't know why you would need to do that. But the point of this particular show was that he was going to teach this guest of his, this woman, to do this because she wanted to learn to do it. Because I'm sure most of you would want to know how to do that in case you were ever in a situation where you needed to do that. I I I don't know, but... They're in this swamp, a swamp where you can't even see in the water. You know, they're having to push back so much of that green gunk and ooze. Those are scientific terms. And then they go down into this black water where you can't see your hand in front of your face. And with all the scuba gear, and there's another guy there with a light because it's pitch black. And if that isn't enough, they're in there searching on purpose for alligators to tick off. You know, the alligator otherwise is having a nice sleep. Next thing you know, he's got someone messing with his snout. So to demonstrate to her, to teach her how to get in front of a living alligator underwater in the dark and lift up the jaw of the alligator. This stuff is just unbelievable to me. I don't... When you watch this stuff, there's part of you that just can't quit watching, right? right? And part of you is thinking, who would ever do that? I would never do that. But it sure is cool that someone else thought it up and someone else brought a camera crew along so I could kind of live vicariously through them, and it's entertaining. There was another program uh, on Animal Planet where divers would go into the water and they get in front of hammerhead sharks and they put their hands on their heads or whatever you call that thing that goes like that where their eyeballs are, it's their heads, where they're, and they would hold on to them while the shark pushes them through the water. Have you ever seen that? I mean, that, is, that just doesn't make any, I don't know what the purpose of that is. And, and I'm thinking, who thought of that? And maybe out of desperation, and maybe one time when they were in shark-infested waters, I don't know. But someone said, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go try that. And here's an idea. When we've perfected it, let's bring some cameras along. And, uh, but we watch stuff like that, and we think, you know, how in the world? You know, they, and why? That's the bigger question to me, is why? Because I, w- I would never do anything like that. But there's something in us that is entertained by this stuff because it's dangerous. There's no margin for error There's a bit of a, sometimes for for some of us, there's a bit of a guy thing going on, because you're thinking, if a guy's going to be eaten by a shark anyway, I would kind of like to see that. (laughs) I mean, I don't wish that on anybody, but if it's going to happen anyway, I'd like to have some video of that so I can watch it over and over in slow motion, you know what I mean? Uh, That is so not right. Um, But there's something like that going on, admit it. That's why you're a NASCAR fan, I know. You're you A wreck-free race is boring to you. I know, there's something something twisted in us. But the daredevils are like, you know, cool that you see that, and you you play it over and over. There's something about seeing people who are out on the limb, who are out on the edge somewhere, who are doing stuff that you wouldn't do. And it's the same with reality TV and some of those competition-based shows. How many of you remember Fear Factor? It's one of the early, yeah. I loved and hated that show because I loved... Some of the physical challenges on that show that I would think I would love to have tried that, you know, but when it came to getting in, say, for instance, a small enclosed space with all kinds of crawly, slimy, creepy creatures. No, I couldn't even watch it, let alone actually do it. But some of you love that stuff and that's, there's help for you too. But we're, we're, we're watching people who are basically stretched to their emotional limit and some of them just break and they cry or they freak out and they walk off because they're pushed to the limit and they're pushed to the limit and they're pushed to the limit and finally over the edge. It's the same with some extreme sports. Some of the stuff that, you know, these guys pull off on skateboards or on bikes or snowboards or whatever. And I used to think skydiving was extreme. And some of you I know have have done that. But have you seen these flying suits, these wing suits? Have you seen those? People jump out of perfectly good airplanes (laughs) in these suits that make them look like flying squirrels with a camera attached to their helmet. What good is a helmet? I, never, I, don't, I don't understand why you need a helmet when you're jumping out of a plane several thousand feet in the air. And they jump out of the airplane and they fly with just some nylon-like material between their arms and their feet, and they fly. They're like 110, 140 miles an hour. And that sounds crazy enough, but if that's not enough and it never is, they want to do things. Like threading the needle through these ridiculously narrow openings, and I remember this flight a couple of years ago, and I watched this one happen, and maybe you did too. Uh, Jeff uh, Jeb Jeb Corliss uh, did this this crazy thing where he flew through a uh, and Cave in China. Do you remember that? We have a video of this. Watch this. that that was not a voiceover he really said I'm so happy I'm so happy to still be here like you idiot you jumped out of a plane you know um so anyway that stuff is entertaining to me I've got all kinds of questions you know about how did you learn to do that uh who thought this was a good idea the first time you know and mostly why I mean why but it's basically entertaining because we're watching people either physically or emotionally or mentally just going to the limit, stretching beyond what most of us think is possible, and there's just no margin for error. And we, we might be sick watching it, but it's just entertaining and we can't stop. Well, as fun as all that is, back in the real world where I live and where you live, there's nothing entertaining or enjoyable about uh, watching people live an unsustainable life. There's nothing enjoyable about living a life where we constantly feel stretched to the max. Or living a life where you're so, so much at the limit that there's no margin for error. And if you make one mistake financially, if you make one mistake in your scheduling, if you make one mistake morally, if you make one mistake emotionally, you are just toast, you are wiped out. It's no fun watching a married couple who are both at the end of their rope emotionally and finally, you know, they have that one last big argument and somebody goes over the edge and they go past their limit and they walk off and they walk away and they go, I can't do this anymore, I can't do this kind of marriage anymore. And some of you have been there. There's nothing entertaining about a teenager who skates on the edge morally, so close to the edge, so close to the line, that they know they, sh- they shouldn't cross it, that they've determined in their hearts that they would never cross it, but then one night they cross it. And they live with the consequences and they live with a blot on their record and they live with a new controlling destructive habit and they live with regret and they live with scars that may never go away. And some of you have been there. It's no fun to watch a friend who's at their limit financially and all of a sudden there's an unexpected expense and it pushes them over the edge and they have to declare bankruptcy and some of you have been there. All of us know it's no fun to have your schedule so full of stuff that you don't even enjoy anything you do because you're so concerned about getting to the next thing. Because you're never really fully present because you're distracted with what's coming next. You're never fully present because you're just exhausted all the time. Some of you have been there and some of you live there. So we're going to talk about this this morning, this reality of being stretched to the breaking point. What we know in real life, where we live, is that we've got to have margin. We need margin. And it can be entertaining to see people take things to the limit every once in a while. But you can't live at the edge for very long because we're not built to do that. Eventually, if you don't have enough margin, that is, you don't have space between where you are and where you could potentially be, there's going to be a problem relationally, morally, financially, physically spiritually and the truth is we live in a culture that pushes us to the limit pushes us to fill our margin so we think that we have to live there but as we're going to see today for the next couple of weeks probably you don't have to live there in fact God has a plan for our lives for your life and for my life where he invites us away he invites us to back off from the edge to live with a different set of limits So to get started this morning, I want to give you a couple definitions, and I'm going to get to a little bit of scripture at the very end, but this is really the introduction for the next two or three times that I'm here at the podium. Um, We're going to talk about margin for the next few weeks, so I thought it would be good to give us a definition for this context. Here's a definition of margin. Margin is an amount available beyond what is actually needed. That's margin. It's an amount available beyond what is actually needed. It's the extra. It's the reserve. When you open up a book, on the page there's text. What's around the text? Between the edges of the text and the edge of the page, what do we call that? We call it the margin, don't we? And you might wonder, why do they do that? Isn't that a waste of paper? You know, poor trees that are dying because you have to have a margin. Well, they could do that. They could use all the space. They could go right to the edge. But have you ever seen a page printed that way? There's just something weird about it. It, you don't even want to read it. You're not drawn to it. It's muddy. Nothing's clear. It's hard to find your place because visually you need margin. We talk about this all the time um, on in our preparation for Sundays here as we're working on our sound and our mix from the stage. On our soundboard, we want to have margin. We call it headroom. Without headroom, you get the dreaded feedback, that squealing noise, that You've all been in settings where that's happened. It's happened here like we can count on one hand the number of times it's happened in all the years that we've been here because we know the importance of headroom. Without headroom, you get annoying feedback. And then, and then of course, we invite guitar players to play in our band. Yeah, guitar players. Especially with guitar players, we need margin. I don't know much about Mark's gear, so Mark, wherever you are, you're off the hook on this, okay? So, but Ben's gear, however, I thought I would use. (laughs) Why not use your son as an illustration in your sermon, right? Um, Ben's amp. I got a picture of the volume. Just this is just the volume setting on Ben's amp, and uh, if if we'll say it's a scale of one to ten, it'll go to ten. But you can see right there, he plays at about one and a half out of ten. That's that's a typical setting for Sunday morning. You're like, whoa. Um, it would sound great at 6 or 7. There have been a few uh, venues that he's played where outdoors usually, where you can play it at 6 or 7. But if he played at 6 or 7, let's say he played it at 9 or 10 for very long. 6 or 7 is too loud for this room. 9 or 10 for very long, and he'd blow the speakers that are built into the amp. The amp is meant to be played with margin. We have margin on our highways, Not so much on our secondary roads in rural Maine. Not now. We had it in October and they've gone, they're gone away. But when you pull out onto the interstate and you come to the end of that access ramp and you look in your mirror and you yield first. That's right, people. You yield first when you're coming on the interstate. Let's just take a little detour right now, okay? You yield. You don't, that's how it's done. You don't expect the traffic on the interstate to yield for you. Doesn't work that way. That's dangerous. You don't, you don't expect the, the car in the far right lane to move over for you so that you can come on full speed. It's not how it's done. You yield first. That's what that sign is for. I do think the yield signs are in the wrong place because we're coming on the interstate. We're looking over our left shoulder because if you don't know how to use a mirror, you're looking over your left shoulder, and the yield sign's over here. So I know people are like, what, there's a yield sign? Like, it's over there. So anyway. So you come coming on the interstate and you yield first, and then you notice that there is margin. Thankfully, they don't build travel lanes just as wide as our cars, do they? Roads are built, actually, with the intended speed limit in mind. So the higher the speed limit, the wider the travel lane, because we want margin on our highways. Believe it or not, I was doing research into this this week. There's a debate about whether wider lanes are actually safer. I don't know. Anyway... People need something to spend money on for studies, I guess. But we want there to be more pavement than we actually need. It's why you like to fly first class, don't you? You don't fly first class? You really should. You have your own flight attendant. You get complimentary adult beverages and real glass. You have a bathroom right there. You get to look down on all the other passengers as they come on. And, 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 and the seats are bigger. They're wider and more legroom. It's luxurious. It's why I fly first class. I fly planes that don't even have first class. What am I talking about? Um, But don't you want your space? I mean, I want my space. I want extra space whenever I can get it. When we lived in Louisville, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas back in the mid to late 80s, we lived in a brand new subdivision with what they called zero-lot line where basically your property line, at least on one side of your house, your property line was the exterior wall of your neighbor's house. That's how it worked. I know you can't imagine, because if you've got less than like 42 acres in, you know, in, in New England, we're like, what? Um, but we want, we want our space as human beings. In a world of physical things that we can see, sometimes we strive for margin where we want there to be space. But for some reason, in our intangibles, in the finances, in our schedules, in our emotions, sometimes in our morality. We live life with no margin, and we wonder why there are problems. So uh, we said that margin is the amount of available space beyond what is actually needed. And there's, I want to give you kind of a second definition that takes us more to what we're going to talk about, into this, that personally, margin is the space between our current performance and our limits. It's the space between our current performance and our limits. Think about that. Margin is when you run, you don't run as fast as you could all the time where there's space between your current performance and your limits. Margin is showing up early and having a few minutes before an event or a meeting begins. Margin is getting to the end of the month and there's a little money left over. Margin is getting into a discussion with your spouse and having the emotional ability to deal with it in a healthy way without losing your mind or your temper that even though You might take an emotional hit. You have enough headroom emotionally so that you can deal with it without going over the edge. That's what margin is in our personal lives. The truth is, we want it on a page. We want it on our highways. There's there's something in us, though, that needs it in the critical areas of our lives. And yet we live in a culture that pushes us to our limits, and at our limits, there is no margin. Now, when you don't have margin... When you don't have margin in your life, there are several things that happen. Most of them are pretty predictable. So let me just throw this one out The first thing that happens when you don't have margin is your stress level goes up. And if you're like, really? Let me write that down. Perhaps this is an irrelevant topic for you. I don't know. But you're, you, this is not news. As your margins decrease, your stress level goes up. As your margins decrease, your stress level increases. Every one of us knows this if we've ever driven anywhere. You're supposed to be somewhere when the big hand gets on the 12. And you're about 20 minutes away, and you remember, then you remember it's a holiday weekend, and you're on High Street. And you're about 20 minutes away, and you see the flashing lights up, about 14 cars ahead of you, you see the flashing lights of a school bus. And now you have 19 minutes and then you have 18 minutes, and then you have 17 minutes. And as the big hand gets closer and closer to the 12, what happens emotionally? You get a little more stressed and a little more stressed and a little more stressed. Why? Because your margin margin is shrinking, and as the margin shrinks, your stress level goes up. So if you're here this morning and you're a pretty stressed out person, you're stressed out a lot, you're just generally stressed out, it's probably because you lack margin somewhere in your life. You don't have the space to function in a healthy way without the stress. If you're the person in your family who keeps the checkbook and pays the bills and manages the finances, and your husband and your wife or one of your kids walks in and there's an unexpected expense, and the margins are already a little bit tight, as soon as they start talking about a bill or a repair job or they want to go on this trip with the school, or all of a sudden you see the margins shrink and all of a sudden you're emotional, and your husband or your wife or your kids want to know, you know, every time we talk about money, you get all emotional and upset. Why? It's because you're watching and you're feeling as if the margins are shrinking, and as the margins shrink, your stress level goes up. If you are in a dating relationship with someone and your significant other is pushing you sexually, and you believe that sex is for marriage, and it is, by the way. that's what. That, I mean, I know it's seriously old-fashioned, but we just kind of adhere to what the Bible teaches, you know, so that's sex is for married couples it's not for engaged couples it's not for mature couples it's not for committed couples it's not for couples who are pretending to be married it's for married couples Mm -hmm. that was just a bonus sermon for you but (laughs) every once in a while you know you're in this relationship and your boyfriend or your girlfriend pushes you a little closer to the line that's stressful for you and you don't understand it and you're like well I love him and I'm committed to him and I feel stressed and it's because he's pushing you to narrow your margin morally and when margins shrink, stress goes up because you were designed to live with margin. You were not designed to live at your limit. Auto mechanics would say it's not good for engines to spend most of their time at the limit. It's not good for people either. Second thing that happens, and this is, it's kind of related, when our margins decrease, our stress goes up and our focus narrows. Because you know what you know what happens. We, when the margins are shrinking, we become very self-centered. We are, because we're forced to deal and focus our emotional energy on ourselves. Because as our margins decrease, we become more and more self-aware of what's happening and our need to do something about it. When you close in your margins, you're forced to do something about it to compensate to become more self-absorbed, which leads to the third thing that happens when when margins narrow. And that's number three, relationships suffer. When margins narrow, relationships suffer because relationships happen in the margin. Relationships happen when everyone has the emotional headroom to be able to deal with the stuff that happens in relationships. Relationships. But as margins decrease, so does the health of the relationships around us because we're more stressed out, because we're more focused on our own stuff and our situation, and we have less to give to other people in terms of time and in terms of emotional support. Relationships always suffer as the margins decrease. See, if you're married to someone who, who doesn't have much margin, who doesn't guard margin, you feel like you don't ever get their undivided attention. If you're, if you're a person who hasn't created much margin in your life, the people around you feel like you never fully engage. You show up for dinner. You show up for the day even. You know, words are coming out of your mouth, and your head nods at the appropriate time. But the people around you are like, he's not engaged. She's not engaged. They're not really here. Hey, Dad, you're here, but you're not here. Honey, you're home, but you're not home. Where are you really? Why are you so distracted? That's what happens to people who live without margin. You can't really fully engage relationally because there are all these distractions. You might not even know what it is, but your mind is always thinking about that shrinking margin. I'll tell you what. If you're married, lack of margin will destroy intimacy in your marriage. Lack of margin destroys intimacy in your marriage. Busyness is the enemy of intimacy. Intimacy. And you cannot have intimacy and be very, 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 very busy. They just don't go together. And oftentimes our lifestyles and our financial decisions and our emotional decisions squeeze out intimacy. You can't nurture a spouse. You can't, you can't be nurturing as a spouse. You can't be nurturing as a parent if you don't have margin because you can't listen because you're not fully present if you don't have margin. You can't focus on someone else if you don't have margin. You can't be sensitive to someone else if you don't have margin. Shrinking margin squeezes everything relationally oriented out of our lives. And you look at your situation and you're like, but I don't understand, you know, I'm stressed because I don't, I, I, I don't think there's anything I can do about this, but that's why we're going to do this short series for the next few weeks because I think there is something that we can do about it. And your relationships, your relationship with your spouse, your relationships within your home, your relationships with friends, your relationship with God and His church depend on your ability to create a life of margin in your money, in your schedules, in your morality, in emotionally. Because relationship happens within the margins in our lives. And once in a while, because of the time and place where we live, the message of culture, which, which uh, let's not blame other people for the message of culture, okay? Because we, we live in culture. We contribute to culture. We contribute to it. We're not innocent victims of culture. But the message of culture is to go to the limit, to fill the, the blank space. you got some margin there. Fill it. And we try to get as much crammed into our schedules as possible, and we lose control of our schedules, and we try to leverage ourselves financially to get as much stuff and security as possible. And the last thing we have is security. We try to go as far as we can morally, and in doing so, we lose control in that area. Now, now here's the interesting thing. I, I, this isn't new information right now. Uh, there, I don't think there's anyone sitting here going, wow, I never thought of that. Because you're like, enough already. We know all that. Let's solve it. You know, it's like, that's where we all live, Todd. I'm, I know I'm stressed. I know I try to squeeze too much in. I know I'm overcommitted. I know I don't have money left at the end of the month. I know I don't have it all together emotionally, and I don't have space. So why, why do we allow ourselves to get there? Why do we allow ourselves to be so stretched? That's the question. Like, I know it's a problem. Why don't we do something about it? Why don't we do less? Why don't we do with less? Why don't we sell our homes and live in a house that costs like two-thirds of the price? Why don't we trade in our car and scale down and have some money in the bank? Why don't we do that? I mean, I know some of you have. I love those stories. Why don't we get out of relationships that stress us out emotionally? Why, if you're in a relationship where the moral margins are getting tighter and tighter... Maybe the whole relationship's built around that. Why don't you get out of that relationship? Why don't you just break up with him? Why are you still with her? And, and don't get me wrong. If you're married, if you're married this morning, uh, you're, you're looking for a way out. Your situation's a lot more complicated because so we're not really addressing that right in that little, you know, sentence right there. But whatever the deal is, we just need to fix some things. There are lots of answers to this question of why we allow ourselves to be so stretched. But I think there's one answer that we can all admit to if we're honest. And if we just kind of sit back and think about this a little bit. I think that one of the reasons why we let ourselves get stretched is that we're scared. I think it's fear. And I think for some of us, we're afraid of of any number of things. But I'm going to say, first of all, that we're afraid that we're going to miss out on something good. And in pursuing all of the good things, we don't end up with a good life. I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on something good, so I can't say no. I want so bad to be accepted. I want to be in the in crowd. I want people to see me a certain way. I've got to say yes to every invitation. I don't want to miss out on any of those good things, so I spend too much time and too much money, and I get too emotionally engaged, and I go too far because I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on something good. And again, in an attempt to get as much as we can out of life, we lose control of our lives. Because a good thing is a life that has margin. Here's something else I think we, that we're fearful of. I think we're fearful of falling behind. Because my friends, you know, they have their kids in gymnastics and soccer and karate and dance and music, and I don't want my kids to fall behind. You ever fallen victim to that? I have. So now my kid, I just decided my kids aren't leaving the house. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So what happens when, we, when, we're, when we're motivated by, you know, my friends have their kids in gymnastics, soccer, karate, dance, and music. Now, our, not only do we not have any margin, now our kids don't have any margin either. We're actually bringing up our kids to have no margin. We don't think of it that way. But when you're eight years old and you need a calendar and a schedule and a personal assistant, and then their schedules that we impose on them imposes such a pressure on us that none of us enjoy any of it.: yeah. That's my mother. We That's true. <laughs> that's true. We enjoy saying that our kids are on such and such a team or that they're a star at this or they're the best this, whatever you've ever seen. And our schedules are full and I'd love to get together with you sometime. How does, t- Let me look at my calendar. 2017, how does that sound for you? Because we're really, 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 really busy. We're busy people. We're very in people and we're very important people and people are expecting us to be at such. When we talk to our friends and it's all about what our kids are doing, but we never stop to ask ourselves and we never ask each other, are you just enjoying life? Are you enjoying this experience? Are you enjoying this stage of life in your family? Well, that would be a great conversation to have. We had time for it. We never really stopped to ask the kids if they're enjoying it. We just know we got pictures to share on Facebook to show our friends. Hey, look. I think, it's, I mean, I know this is, this is really where we live, but I think we're afraid. We're afraid of falling behind. We're afraid of falling behind professionally in our careers. We're afraid of falling behind in terms of what we own and what we experience. We're afraid. And in an attempt to have more and do more, we end up with a life that has no margin and is so full of stress, and, and it's anything but enjoyable. Think about this. Most of you have more money than you've ever had before, and you're more worried about money than you've ever been. You have more opportunities to do more things than ever before and your schedule stresses you out. Isn't that weird? These humans are weird. Why do we do this to ourselves? We have more opportunities to do more things than ever before, and our schedules stress us out. You know what else I think of? And this I think we're afraid of, and this isn't all of us. Uh, I'll admit that. It's probably just a small group of us, but maybe it's you. Uh, sometimes we fear not mattering. You fear you're going to get to the end of your life and you didn't matter. You didn't accomplish some great thing. You didn't achieve a certain level in your career. You didn't make your mark on your community. You didn't affect some great change somewhere. There's something in us that thinks, I've got to matter, and the only way to do that is to do, 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 and be the knight in shining armor every time. And at the end of my life, I want people to line up next to my casket and say, he mattered, she mattered. Yay. It's not a bad thing. We want to matter. But here's the problem. Reducing the margin in our personal lives is not a success strategy. Reducing the margin in our personal lives in terms of time and energy and focus and relationships and morality. In other words, allowing your pursuit of mattering to shrink your margins is not a strategy for success. It's a recipe for disaster relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and probably financially. Yet there's something in us that says no, 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 no. Todd, you don't get it. If I, if I do, if I go, and if I get up early, and if I stay up late, and if I say yes, and then I do that, and then I that, and then I, and then I, and we live at the limits that are self-imposed, and we never end up in life where we really want it to be. What I mean by that? We don't really know our kids. We don't have relationships with them as adults. Our marriages are just holding on. Financially, we're stretched to the limit. And we think, well, as I look at my calendar in two weeks, two, two months, I got, a two, I got a two-year plan. A two-year plan. We're going to hit the finish line. It's going to be good. And we're going to be like, ah, everything's great. Because that, yeah, I got a plan. And we're going to figure it all out. And it's going to be like crazy until then. But it's all good. And when the kids are finally grown in, you know, in 17 years when they are on their own, it's going to be wonderful right now. But right, we allow something to push us to limits that we can't sustain because we're afraid to fall behind all the other people that we know, for some reason we look up to, who, by the way, don't have margin in their lives either, and they aren't enjoying what you think they're enjoying, and it's ridiculous. So why why don't we sell our homes? Why don't we downsize? Why don't we sell one vehicle? Why don't we say no to opportunities? Is it because we're afraid of something? I haven't even gone to the scripture yet, but I'm about about to. Because the other interesting thing about this whole topic is that when you open the Bible, when you look around at it, it, at what you know about God, even if you never read your Bible, here's what we know about God. And I really encourage you to read your Bible because you'll discover that our Heavenly Father is saying, come on, come on, come on back. What you're doing in your life is unsustainable. Oh, it might even be sustainable for you, but it's not sustainable for your wife or for your kids and for your family life. Come on back, come back from the edge. You've allowed yourself to be pushed to the limit, and you can't stay there for long without there being consequences. That's not, living there is not going to make you more successful. It certainly hasn't made you any happier. And what we find in Scripture is there's a constant invitation to come back from the edge. And here's how we know this. We'll talk about this more in a couple weeks. Whether we want to admit it or not, we all have limits. We have limits. We are all limited in some areas. We are all limited in some level. We're all limited financially. I don't care what your finances look like we're all limited to some capacity financially. You can only be in one place at a time. Men, you can only do one thing at a time. Women, you can only do like six things at a time. But we all have limits. We all have limits. This is so important, and it's a little bit elementary, but you, you got to just stop long enough to let it sink in, that you have limits. You have limits financially, You have limits morally. You have limits emotionally. You have limits relationally. You have limits in terms of your time, unless you've figured out how to squeeze in that eighth day in a week. God created us as limited people. We all have limits. And some of us are living at our limits, but everybody has a limit. Your Your limit may look different than someone else's limit, but you still have a limit. We need to understand that God created you with a limit. And God is going to call us to live within limits. We know that. Next thing is you've been created a relational being. You are not a robot. You are not a machine. You are not a producer. You are a relational being. God created you as a relational being. And relationships happen in the margin. So God said, you're going to be limited anyway, and I want you to survive and thrive relationally, and I want you to to survive and thrive emotionally, and I want you to survive and thrive spiritually, so I'm going to lead you to limits, since you're limited anyway, I'm going to lead you to limits where relationships thrive. Because that's my priority for you. Not leaving your mark, not mattering in some way that you determine, not getting the most out of life and keeping up with all the people around you who don't have any margin either. He says, I've created you to live within limits and I've created you primarily to be a relational being. And if your relationships are suffering, you've chosen limits that are outside God's limits for your life. So when we open the pages of Scripture, if you're a Bible person, if I hope you're a Bible person. I hope you read your Bible. I hope this and Caleb is not all the Bible you get in a week. But anyway, here's what we find in the Bible, and I find this stuff fascinating. That when God chose a nation, he chose a nation that wasn't even a nation yet, and technically it was hardly even a family yet. I mean, uh, he, 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 chose, he chose a nation that was actually two old, old people. I mean, yeah, and with no children. But hundreds of years later, when his chosen nation had reached critical mass, and they were actually a nation. Well, they, didn't, they weren't firmly settled in their own land yet, exactly. But they were big enough that they were actually considered a nation. He said, it seems like everybody's been trying to figure me out. You've lost touch with me. You don't even know who I am anymore. You're trying to figure out who I am. So let me help you with that. I'm going to give you my law. And my law will tell you a lot about me. So when God gave the Israelites his law, he mandated margin. He said, thou shalt have margin. You've never heard that commandment? But... It's basically what he said. He didn't wait for them to figure this out or stress themselves out and try to go and go through counseling and try to figure it all out. He mandated margin. God said this. He said, Friday night, you're not done with your to-do list. You hang it up until Sunday morning. But on Saturday, which started at sundown on Friday, you don't work. That was his law. It was mandated. Oh, but God, I got so much to do. You have no idea what." the demands on my time and my, my boss is so you don't, you don't know. Just go home. What are we, how are we going to do? What are we going to, how are we going to get this done on my to-do list? I don't, I don't know. Just go home. You have 24 hours at least. You cannot work. 24 hours. You just hang out. 24 hours. You just be. We've almost forgotten how to do that. He says, spend time with me. Spend time with your family. But for 24 hours, you don't work. For 24 hours, thou shalt not fill up thy schedule. It's the principle of the Sabbath. And God mandated that for his people. And then he went further with it. It wasn't just about a day of the week. He went further with it. He said, every once in a while, I want you to give a margin to the land. Every few years, you can't even plant crops on your land but God will starve to death. He's like, yeah, right. You'll, you will obey me, you'll starve to death because that's how it works. Right, uh-huh. And God was more sarcastic than you thought. But uh, it's like, no, you won't starve. This, this is about margin. You, you just have to trust me. One entire year, every once in a while, no planting, no harvesting. And I know this, this is crazy stuff, but it actually gets worse. Oh, oh another thing. He says, you're going to have margin financially. Thou shalt live on, ready for this? 80% of thine income. And you're like, 80%? Where'd you get this? He says, I want you to take 10% and invest it in the temple. Take another 10% and give it away to the poor. And I'm like, Whoa, didn't know that. That's why I encourage you to just read your Bible. But under the law, Jewish people couldn't live at 100% of their income, it was forbidden. It was the law. They had to live at 80% because 10% went to the temple and 10% went to the care of the poor. You read the rest of the law, so much of it's about taking this idea and weaving it through the very fabric of their society. He was saying to them, I know what you're capable of, but I don't want you to live there. I know what you could be doing, but I don't want you to live there. I know what you could accomplish, but I don't want you to live there. I know what you could pack into your schedule. I don't want you to live there. I know what you could do with your money. I don't want you to live there. I'm calling you back from the edge. And after a few years, the nation of Israel forgot God. And they're like, we're done with, with this, God. Like, your moral limits are so uh, outdated. And your financial limits are so impractical. And your time limits, I mean, if you knew my life, God, your agricultural limits, really? So we're going to live to the max, God. Thanks for getting us started, but we're taking it from here. And God said, okay. And he calls in the Babylonians and ships, them off into, ships the Israelites off into slavery for 70 years. And in slavery, they learned about different kinds of limits. And when they learned their lesson, he brought them back to their land and they reestablished temple worship and they reestablished the principle of the Sabbath. Here's the point. In the Old Testament, God called his people to a life of margin. Here's the promise. God says, you're so worried that you won't produce. You're so worried that you'll fall behind. You're so worried about what might happen. Just, Just trust me. I created... Time. I created economy, I created morality, I created you as an emotional, relational, spiritual being. Step back from the edge and trust me. And then Jesus showed up. One day Jesus is walking along and these guys come up to him and and ask him, Hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? They thought they tricked him. It was like a game they played. What's the most important commandment? And I don't know how long Jesus thought about it. Part of me wants to, make, wants to think that he made them wait for an answer, and then I think he was right there. I don't know, but here's what he said. He said, as you think about your life, and as you think about how you prioritize your life, he said, here it is. Here's the greatest commandment. This is how God would like you to prioritize your life. This is in Matthew 22, verse uh, 37. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Oh, oh, and on par with that, love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, but Jesus, that's going to take time. I might have to say no to something. I mean, what's that got to do with getting stuff done and accumulating stuff and changing the world and, you know, going to gymnastics on time? And, uh, I mean, what's that have to do with the way with me living my life, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, you know, all that stuff's neither here nor there. Just make sure there's time to love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Then the rest of it, I guess you can figure out from there. And I've just discovered that in order for that to happen, it requires margin. Then right before Jesus left this earth, here's what he said. He gathered the men and women who had followed him, and right before he left the earth, here's what he said. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the rest of the world, and I want you to teach the people what I've taught you, and I want you to teach them to obey the things that I've commanded you to obey, and I want you to tell the world about me. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm guessing they thought, whoa, Jesus, that's going to take some serious time. The whole world? All nations? That's going to take some time. That's going to cost some money. That's going to be emotionally demanding because not everybody's going to accept this. But in this, Jesus is saying, you've got to have margin because you can't follow me without margin. You can't do the things that I'm saying are important if you don't have margin. So as we're going to see over the next three or four weeks and what what the Bible teaches is this. As you squeeze margin out, you you squeeze God out of your life. You're like, oh, not me. Hmm. As the margins get narrower and thinner, so does your relationship with your heavenly Father because relationships happen in the margin. I've talked to enough people and I know enough people People just like you who say, yeah, I used to be a Christian. I used to go to church. I used to, I used to be really involved. I used to teach Sunday school. I used to do that. I and I never met any of them who said, but I did an honest investigative thing and I discovered that God isn't real and Jesus wasn't his son and he can't be trusted. I'm sure those people are out there, but I've never interacted with any of them. Here's what I've heard. I used to, I used to, I used to, but I got busy. And, and the, the job, you know, and, and the kids did. And then I uh, I'd take a second job, and then, you know, my marriage fell apart, and I don't have any idea why. And then all that changed, and my margins shrank. They don't really say it that way, but this is what they're saying, and it's, and it's really ludicrous. What they're really saying is, you know, at some point back there, I, I man, I just didn't have time for God. I'm sure God understands. I just didn't didn't have time. Let me just throw this out there. If you're thinking, yeah, that's me, because this teaching is so impractical. Let me just throw this out there. God has ways of finding time for you to have time for God. Let's just let you. God has ways of finding time for you to have time with God. seen it happen. God does it all the time. With Israel, he's like, you don't have time for me? Hey, Babylonians, what you doing with your military machine? Come on, haul these people off. You'll have lots of time for me. You don't have time for me because you're too busy with work? I'm guessing you'll have lots of time when you get laid off. I'm not saying God's a vindictive God. I'm just saying God has ways of finding time for us to have time with him. I've known people who all of a sudden found lots of time to be with God on a hospital bed. I have friends who found lots of time that they didn't know they had. Lots of time for God when they're lying in a bed in an apartment by themselves wondering what happened to their family life. God has ways. It's like an employer telling or an employee telling his employer that he doesn't have time to do a good job because he's so busy spending the money that he's paying him to do a good job for him. You know what I'm saying? I really can't put in a full day today, boss. I got to go spend all that money that you pay me to do a good job. That problem can be resolved. Yeah. We rarely make a decision to stray We're more likely to drift. You know why we drift? Because in our time, in in our money, in our affection, in our morality, the margins get squeezed. And when you shrink the margin, you squeeze out your Heavenly Father as well. That's why the invitation of our Heavenly Father is to come to me. Come back from the edge. I'll help you create margin. Within the margin, you will thrive, you will grow, you will prosper in the areas that matter. Because all those things that you're afraid won't happen, and, and you won't make the mark, and you won't matter, and you'll miss out on something good, God's like, I can handle all that. And the pushback that you might have for the next three or four weeks, and you won't say it this way, but you'll, like, you'll be like, well, that's all fine and good for some people, but I don't really have time uh, to have margin, <laughs> I mean, you're a pastor, we know that you kind of work a couple hours on Sunday, but we don't even know what you do the rest of the week, so this is probably easy for you. You've got more margin than you know what to do with, but if you knew my life, you know, if you knew my schedule, if you knew my responsibility with my kids and my finances, I'm telling you, man, it's not practical for me. Listen, this is just the introduction today, so uh, I really encourage you to stay engaged with me for the next few weeks. I'm not going to take a long time on this, maybe three or four, but you know what? You are going to live your life within limits. You are. Limits you choose, or limits someone pushes on you, or the limits that your Heavenly Father invites you to. But you're going to live within limits. There's an interesting verse in Revelation 3, so familiar. In fact, some of you have seen paintings based on this verse. Some of you grew up in churches with a, in your Sunday school classroom. There was a painting of Jesus standing outside a door, and he's holding a lantern and he's knocking. Remember this? Remember this? How many of you? I'm curious. Any of you have that picture in your? <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, You might have it in your living room. I don't mean any disrespect, but this is the New International Version Revelation three verse twenty. He says, "Here I am!" Exclamation point. Because in the King James, remember what it said? Behold behold, in other words, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. I used to, I used to think that was weird as a kid. Because as a, as a kid, I heard another story that maybe you heard too. That um, And it went, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. <laughs> and I remember thinking, so why does the big bad wolf get to threaten those poor little pigs? But Jesus, son of God, creator of the universe, died on the cross for me, standing outside in the dark, just patiently knocking. Why doesn't he just come in, you know? I know. Anyway, if anyone hears my voice, in other words, if you'll turn down the music long enough, if you'll pause long enough, if you'll silence the noise long enough, if you'll just create the time to listen to me, he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's about relationship. Here's the point. Your Savior is more than willing to come into your life and lead you to margin. But he's not going to force the issue. He's going to wait until you open the door. And if you wait too long to open the door when you're on a hospital bed or when your spouse has announced it's finally over or when your kids won't speak to you or when your employer has had enough or when you have no option but bankruptcy or when you're pregnant and unmarried, Jesus will come in and help you pick up the pieces, but you're going to live within limits. Self-imposed limits, culturally imposed limits, if you want to say it that way, or limits at your Heavenly Father wishes to lead you to. So the question is, why don't we choose to step away from the edge? Why don't we choose to say to our Heavenly Father who created us and knows us inside and out, okay, here's my time. Here's my money. Here are my possessions. Here are my emotions. Here's my image. Here's my morality. Here's my relationship with my spouse. Here's my relationship with my kids. Here are all my, I'll just take all my relationships, let's just make it that. And I'm no longer going to squeeze everything I can out of life and find that life is out of control. I'm going to surrender everything to you. I hear you knocking, and I'm going to open the door and let you into all those areas of my life. And when you do, he begins to lead you to a life of margin where there's room to love him with all your being and to love others as you love yourself. I am convinced that it's really the only life worth living. And in the margin, we'll discover what it is to have a vital, vibrant, growing relationship with our Heavenly Father. Listen to this song.
1: I can hear you call